Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's the second part of our NBA playoff deep dive into the early games of the playoffs here. We didn't really focus much on Boston and Brooklyn outside of the first couple of minutes of this episode. From then on, we talk mostly about the other games that we got to see. Uh, we spend at least a minute or two talking about each series, but a big portion of this is going to be focused on Anthony Edwards and Minnesota's growth, that fun Memphis series uh, with the Timberwolves that I think is poised to go for a long time here uh, into the next couple of weeks. We moved forward. We talked a bit about the 76ers and Raptors. We talked a bit about uh, the Bulls and Bucks. We talked some about Chris Paul's incredible game one performance uh, against the New Orleans Pelicans. It was uh, a nice little deep dive into all of the rest of the games outside of that incredible Brooklyn-Boston series. So keep it locked here and you'll get to hear uh, all sorts of fun stuff, all sorts of uh, you know breakdowns of all of those series here and where they stand moving forward. <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, let's get back here and talk about this. I mean, look, that game, the the Celtics uh, Celtics Nets game ended in a buzzer beater. We had classic moments. We had the incredible stage. I I mean, look, where you were there, like, have you remembered any moment where the garden was that loud at the end? Like, it came through the screen how loud that place was at the end. Yeah, I, I, it was a it was an incredible <laughs> game, but uh, that that was. That that was pretty normal, high level guarded game. You know, there's been a lot of great ones there, but that was that was an incredible game. Um, because it's funny, I noticed on I don't really do Twitter that much during games anymore. I try yeah. to just focus and take notes, and I, I took three thousand words of notes during the game. So it's unbelievable. you know, I'll channel it all into a fill breakdown tomorrow. I wrote more of a theme level story uh, after that one, but I'll I'll have a very long intricate film study tomorrow. But um. Uh, the point is, I noticed that people were saying how like horrible and humiliating and gross this game was because there were so many fouls in the first half. They it was not 30, great. That they way. called thirty fouls in the first half. I think they called like half that in the second half. They they let them go a lot more. But then there were still like some of the like two hands uh, hand check calls that you know that the fans see and they're like, what's going on? Like there was no contact. What are you talking yeah. about? And you don't realize like it's an automatic foul. They just usually don't call it. Um, but so. 
people thought the game was hideous. I thought the game was just like an exciting defensive strategy game coupled with Kyrie Irving having some like unbelievable shot making and Jalen Brown having some great attacking. So yeah, I thought it was a wonderful game. Like I loved it. It was really fun. And then obviously that fourth quarter was unbelievable. Um, but like it was, I would say that was a, that was an eight and a half for TD garden. Like if game, 10, wow. Yeah. If game 10 is them like winning a finals game or like even winning yeah, a championship, yeah. like that's like an eight and a half. That's like a, that's like a borderline series clincher or like incredible game against a rival. Cause that, that the nets are a huge rival for the Celtics now. Cause you, because of Kyrie, cause of Kyrie, like, that's, that's it. Cause kind of the of. Nets trade thing. Yeah. Um, cause it's New York, Boston to a certain degree, but it's really, it's cause it's, it's Kevin Durant who nobody likes Kevin Durant, which is funny cause I love Kevin Durant. I think people that so know Kevin I. Durant think Kevin Durant's the best people online or, you know, the public think that he's a total bitch, but like, no, I think people that know Kevin Durant fucking love Kevin Durant. Um, and so I think you couple those things with that, with, with that, it felt, it really felt last year, like the Nets won the Nets, the Celtics just blew the Nets trade. The Nets won it. Kyrie spurned them. All the stuff that Kyrie said was totally right for the record. And the Celtics fans like you know want want to kill me every single time I say that stuff. But like yeah, the Celtics fans are super sensitive and they're like a scorn lover. Um, and, you know, Kyrie broke up with them and like sure you should be mad at him. Like that's totally fine. But like don't pretend like don't pretend like you're mad at him because he sucks. Like you're mad at him because he because he he blew you off at the end. And I think he mostly yeah. blew the Celtics off because he wanted to run an organization with Kevin Durant. Like that's that's I think the main reason why he did that. Let's go to the – I don't remember. I think it was the second playoff game. I mean, look, like we had, we had Utah and Dallas early on. Ugh. It feels like th- that series is just so dependent on whether or not Dallas gets Luka Doncic back. If they don't get Luka back, I, I just don't know what's worth breaking down. I will say I thought that Rudy Gobert played one of the best games I've ever seen a player play that only took like one shot in a <laughs> single game. I thought he was outstanding defensively. I thought he was great on the glass, like everything that you could ever ask for from Rudy. I thought he was awesome in that first game against Dallas. I just don't know. Like, I almost think it's not worth talking about until like we know what's happening with Luca, because if they don't get Luca back, they have no chance in the series. Like that's kind of it point blank. Right. Or Jalen Brunson averages 40 a game, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, it just sucks, like, you know, that we might not get high powered Luca because it felt like from the last three months of the season onward, that's kind of the way we were headed. We were headed toward Luca, you know, giving one of the Warriors or Suns a real run for their money uh, in the playoffs. And the fact that we're not getting to experience that kind of blows. Um, yeah, uh, look, good for Utah. I'm, I'm glad that they won a road game. Like, you know, I think that, you know, I don't know if they've righted the ship necessarily, but uh, they at least won a game on the road and you shouldn't shouldn't diminish that in any way. Uh, the next game, though, was Memphis and Minnesota, which was, other than the Nets-Celtics game, the most exciting game of the playoffs thus far. And, oh my God, is Anthony Edwards just unbelievable. Uh, I did not see this coming in year two. From Anthony Edwards, I, I did not see him becoming a 30-point scorer in a playoff game uh, where he's picking up John Morant and playing awesome defense and doing everything. Uh, 
he's one of the most fun players in the league right now. He is truly one of the elite level building blocks in the NBA right now. He's on his way to uh, surpassing Carl Towns as the guy in Minnesota. Uh, Carl Towns is going to make all NBA this year. I think that it would be hard to say that Anthony Edwards is uh, better than Carl Towns right now, but this is year two and it's coming. He is some ridiculous level shot maker. He is just that small improvement as a shooter away from being an all NBA player. And He's one of the most fun personalities in the league. Like there, there's nothing better than watching Anthony Edwards right now uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I've been high on the Timberwolves all year. And it's been in part because of what Edwards showed early in the season growth wise. I thought it's funny. Edwards kind of reminds me of Tatum coincidentally in his growth where both of them were these like mid range Kings in college. And yeah. the, the knock on them was, and I, I, I had Ant low on my board. Like I, I think I had him at like four or five. I just mm-hmm. wasn't a believer. I just thought he was a glorified. Like I thought it was going to be like a, a better version of J.R. Smith, like a streaky, super talented scorer who was just not going to be a reliable playmaker to run your franchise, which was uh, extremely wrong. And uh, but like, but the Tatum comparison is that just like right away he got to the league and he just kind of focused on doing a few of the things that he's not good at. And he got better at those things right away. Yeah. And that's always like a huge sign for me. If somebody can just use their off season to join a new team and just add a couple skills that are good NBA role skills right away, that tells me that one, they're malleable and they can improve Two, They're willing to change their game to fit in and their ability to improve is so rapid that like, Holy crap, their, their ceiling's enormous if that's the case. And we're just seeing this year he's playing at a speed. It's There yep. are guys in the NBA that have the physical tools to be able to like get to the shot. And then there's guys that have the combination of the physical tools and the, the, mental, uh, the mental capacity and confidence and comfort and balance that they can just get to the spot when they want to. And yeah. we are just really seeing that where... Ant doesn't really use his like, – he has, like, what, like a 45-inch vert or something like that? Oh, unbelievable athlete. He, he doesn't unbelievable really use it that athlete. much, though. Like, he's mostly just kind of dancing his way through the well, what, like, through everyone. What he uses more, I think, is his strength. Because what, yeah. what I said when he was in the draft, I had him at two or three. I can't remember. I did not have him at one. And I honestly, I don't know if I would take him over LaMelo Ball now or not. It's probably pretty close because I really like LaMelo. But, like – He's very clearly too. I think I had him third on my board, to be honest. Um, but the thing with him that was always so impressive was he is this incredible mix of explosiveness and power, right? He is an incredible 45 inch leaper, like you said, but he goes through guys and goes through contact, yeah. right? He's 225 pounds. He's physical. He's strong as hell. He doesn't use the explosiveness as much, like you said. He uses the power more. He uses the strength more. He goes through contact with ease. He gets to his spots with ease. He plays on balance and still maintains that level of power to be able to get through guys. Uh, that is the thing for him. I mean, look, you watch him at Georgia, like he shot 29% from three. And like he'd have these crazy explosions. Like there was the one in Maui against Michigan State where he, you know, dropped 30 and a half or whatever. But he wasn't a great shooter. Like he had like kind of a hitchy shot at the top and it took him some time to work through it. Uh, 
he's already like a 36% shooter from three. And I feel pretty good about the fact that he's going to continue to grow in that capacity. Like you said, he plays at his own speed in a way that uh, the great players do, right? He never did that at Georgia. He was always trying to go a million miles an hour toward the basket. or He's trying to go a million miles an hour to get to a step back three, right? He can operate in that mid range area with ease. Now he he's such an impressive player. Uh, and this is without, accounting for the defense too, where he was one of the most inattentive defenders I think I've ever evaluated at Georgia. And look, like you knew that he had the tools, right? Like it was one of those things where when you're evaluating a player, it's like, okay, he's on the shitty Georgia team. Like it's clear he knows he's going pro after this year. Who gives a fuck like what the defensive tape looks like, right? It was the same with Ben Simmons on some level too. Like if you remember Ben Simmons again at LSU, he was, he was fucking awful. terrible defensively. Yeah. <laughs> he was horrible, but he always had the tools to be great defensively and figured it out in the end. I mean, the big uh, knock with Simmons was that he gave such little shit that people were worried about him just not caring at all. Yeah, and well, uh, yeah. we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, with Anthony Edwards, by the way, the knock was, you know, does he care about basketball because he literally said pre-draft, you know, I think, I think he said something like, I like football more than I like basketball. He actually, he told me that at McDonald's one time, like I interviewed him at McDonald's and he was like, yeah, like I was like, yeah, when you watch tape, like who do you, uh, who do you watch? And he went something like, I don't really watch basketball that often. Like I I watch football in my time off or like whenever I'm not on the court. And I was just like, okay, uh, interesting. And then like, I went and talked to his trainer and I was like, yeah, he just like kind of told me this. Don't let him like tell people that. Yeah. <laughs> but I get that like, because like I basketball's work. And so like they're ba- basketball is like my greatest passion. Like, and this is my dream job, yeah. but I do it so much for work. There's a lot of times where when I'm not working, I don't want to watch basketball. So I'm so oh, overwhelmed with it. Yeah. So I watch soccer. Totally. Like, that's my thing. Like soccer, F1 and golf and tennis. Like those are my other, I sports, watch movies. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, Sure. Man. That too. Yeah, obviously. But like, I probably, there are, pl- I probably go through periods where I watch more soccer than I do uh basketball just because I just, I, I like I put so much work into it that I just I'm not getting any leisurely pleasure out of it. So I never yeah. really think much of it where guys like aren't league pass junkies. Yeah, you need a work life balance. Yeah, you definitely need a work life balance. I think that's 100 percent accurate. And with Ant, it proved right. Like he has gotten better. Like there is no question. Like I think that the question that people had about him was like, OK, he clearly has all these tools. Is he going to get better? Uh, based off of these comments that he made publicly, right? Like, <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. Like, how many guys make these comments publicly? Like, you hear about it privately sometimes, right? And if you look through my work when I'm evaluating prospects, I tend not to write about that stuff when I hear it because I'm kind of with you on that level. Like, I think that you know, once you get to the league, it's just a different ball game. Like you're playing for money. Now you're playing for a hundred million dollars. Like, you know, you're going to put in the work on some level or else you're going to fail. Um, but I, I tend not to like write that stuff when I hear it um, with Ant, it was impossible to avoid sure, because he just publicly said it. You know what I mean? Like anyone who's like, I, I saw a tweet earlier this week where it was like, Oh, like, you know, they said Anthony Edwards didn't care about basketball. And it's just like, I mean, he said he it. Said it. 
like, what do you mean they? Yeah. He said it. <laughs> That's I mean, like the classic tweet here? where it's like, I was told Steph Curry was a bad shooter. You know, it's like, yeah, like, there's always someone making up some bullshit narrative. Um, so it's it's awesome that Anthony Edwards has done this. He is such a fun personality too. Like he's going to be such a fucking superstar uh, in this league. And oh, by the way, Memphis is in for a fucking series because Anthony Edwards, I don't think he's a better player than John Morant. Okay. I think there are aspects of his game that translate more toward playoff success than Ja right now, because Ja is a bit of a reluctant shooter at times. A bit. And he is always trying to get all the way to the rim or get to his floater like seven feet out from the basket, right? I think that you can set up a game plan for Ja a little bit easier than Anthony Edwards. The problem is that Ja is like a better basketball player on some level than Anthony Edwards is. But I think Anthony Edwards is harder to game plan for over a seven game series because he just has like, the three level scoring to be able to beat you in a way that Jaws still doesn't quite have yet. And on top of it, I didn't love Jaws passing in game one. I think that's where the improvement will come more than anything for Memphis. Like, I think that it, it almost felt like Jaw was out to prove a point in game one, um, that he could be a scorer. He could be the guy who leads Memphis to a, you know, game one win, right. Um, coming back from the, end of the season where he was like riddled a little bit with injuries um, and just missed a lot of time. I Jaws better player than Anthony Edwards. I just wonder if you can scheme him a little bit more right now in the playoffs. Um, And he needs to work through that. And I'm sure he will. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is that, I mean, it's kind of like with Giannis, right? You pack the paint and he's going to score anyway. Uh, The big difference, like Giannis was able to become a champion because he just, drew 30 fouls a game and so it didn't matter if you packed the pain he just kept barreling over you he would miss shots and then just like post the like, tip slam it over the back of defenders and shit like that like he just became unstoppable right. jaw is he's like westbrook-esque like back when russ was good and like, yeah he's pretty comparable to when russ yeah, was yeah, yeah. his best i think he's actually he actually might be a little bit better scorer um than than Russ was. No, that's probably stupid. Now I say it out loud. Uh, yeah, that's probably dumb. But uh, he, he'll get there. Well, I, th- I think but, that he's like a little bit more unselfish than Russ yeah, was. That's that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but the point is, it's like I, I just I always favor the guys, the more simple guys, because it's just so hard. Like Jaw has to do something super hard every time to be able to score. And yeah. I, I, there's always going to be a defense that can still match up against that while. If your ant and every little sliver you get, you turn that into a pull up jumper and you hit it. Like those are, it's a lot easier to be able to get that more reliably than it is for Jaw to be able to spin his way through traffic and somehow pull off and up and under. So, you know, Jaw's still more effective, but you're right in that Jaw, like Jaw, it's really a focus thing. Like you, you lock, you key in on him and you show him the wall at the right angles and you make yep. it tricky for him while the, the wolves are designed to keep you spread out. And ants feeding, you know, playing off of all the doubles that Cat's drawing, and he is slithering yep. through the backside rotation of the defense. And uh, yeah, if Minnesota is completely clicking, and Memphis is 
half clicking, I guess. Like that's probably enough for them to win the series. But I just Memphis has been so reliable all year long, yeah. and they have enough shooting around Jaw that like, I assume they're going to pull the series out. Well, in Look, I think Memphis is going to win the series, I think, is where I still fall on this. The, the problem that I didn't quite rate well enough going into the series, I think, was the Steven Adams problem for Memphis mm-hmm. uh, against Carl Towns. Like, I think that this is not a series for Steven Adams. And they're almost going to have to play a lot of Jaron Jackson minutes at the five. And they're going to have to play like Brandon Clark at the four, which is fine. Like yeah, you can totally do that. And Brandon Clark's been great this year. And Jaron Jackson was one of the five best defenders in the league this year. And like you can make that work, but you have to keep Jaron out of foul trouble. And then Jaron is also going to have to knock down shots to keep Carl Towns honest in ball screen coverages out of pick and pops. Right. And on some level, you're like kind of falling to the shooting variance gods at that point, right? Like if you're, you know, Jaron Jackson is a great shooter. He's one of the best, you know, six foot 10 plus shooters that the NBA has ever seen for his age. But like if Jaron Jackson has a cold series, then he went, I think, 0 for 4 from 3 in game 1. 0 for 5. 0 for 5. You run the risk of being in a bit of trouble. I think in the series. Well, so Memphis shot, I was going to look it up. I can't remember now. They shot seven for 27 from deep and Memphis and Minnesota shot 16 for 41 and they shot 50% from three. So they actually, they almost had a 50, 40, 90. Um, so I, I obviously you assume some level of regression on the 50, 40, 90 yeah. shooting night, but Memphis only taking 27 threes. Like that's, that's not that's like much more of the concern. So, um, yeah. you know, like Melton went over three, Jackson went over five, Sire Williams, he missed both of his shots. Like they're, they're just, they, they're going to need, they're going to need the supporting cast to hit their shots, which like they should, right? Like we just, we've seen yeah. this a bunch. They usually do. So I assume Memphis is going to be okay, but it, def- it definitely makes me worried about getting to the next rounds. Um, cause you know, Golden State looks pretty, they look pretty good against uh, Denver the other night. Yeah, and with Memphis, I think Memphis is probably going to be fine. I think they will probably figure it out. I do think this is a long series, though. Yeah. Because the Timberwolves weirdly have a lot of guys that they can throw at John Morant to bother him. Like, you can throw Patrick Beverly at him. Like, you, you can try and make his life miserable. Uh, you can throw Anthony Edwards at him. And Anthony Edwards did a pretty good job of, like, kind of blowing up what the Grizzlies wanted to do, especially in the second half of that game. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm very intrigued. I think Memphis is a better team. I think that's a long series. I think I would still take Memphis, but it's – it's going to be close, uh, I think, going forward there. And you mentioned the Warriors. I mean, good God. Like, I, I just don't know what, like, Denver does in that series. Um, like, I, there was nothing I saw from Denver in that game where I was like, they they 
feel like they're in this series and like they, they feel like they have a sustainable way to slow down golden state on offense. I mean, Jokic just, he can't move his feet enough to play defense in the series. Like Jokic is, Jokic right. is fine in drop coverage <laughs> up to touch coverage against a, you know, one five pick and roll. Like he got, he, he was good at that. He's been decent rotating under the rim. You just don't really do that much of that stuff against Golden State. And we just saw like all these weird different angles that they were attacking him on where he's reaching out, but he needs to get his feet over there a step earlier to impact the shot. And he's just not right. that close. And then, well, Barton had a really bad defensive game. Uh, Jeff Green was getting lost a lot. And he was supposed to kind of be the low man. He was getting lost a lot. Um, you know, it's just like the, the Nuggets are a team that's designed, I feel like, to guard what's in front of them. And the Warriors are never in front of you. Like they're all, they're always, they're yeah. always playing peekaboo from different weird angles and cutting their 45 cuts, you know, stuff from the corner, they're lifting all, all that kind of stuff. Like they're just, they're confusing and Denver just does not have the defensive personnel to deal with it. And Clay, yeah. Clay had whatever he wanted. Steph was, Steph was bad in that game, right? Like that wasn't, he wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was not good. So they, they only needed him for like 20 minutes. I don't exactly. think he played yeah. much more than that. Yeah. I think Clay handled that one pretty fine, but so. Uh, yeah, I just don't have much hope for, for Denver winning that series at all. Yeah, and look, like that that was a Jordan Poole game, right? Like Jordan Poole went for 28, 30, something like that, right? Um, uh, just like thinking about it schematically, right, in terms of how do you defend the Draymond Green at the five lineup? I don't have an answer is the problem if you're the Nuggets, right? Like if you drop it, you know, with one of Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, or Stephen Curry as the ball handler, they're just going to pull up in your face and you can't give up pull-up threes to those guys. If you play two on the ball, then they're just going to hit the release valve, which is always going to be Draymond Green as the screener. And Draymond Green is better at beating four on threes than like all but like three players in the NBA. Like he's one of the best players in those situations uh, in the entire league. If you switch it, you're putting Nikola Jokic out in space. I think that's what I would do. I would probably just switch every action and pray that Golden State misses. But that doesn't seem sustainable to me. Does it seem sustainable no. to you? I mean, I don't know. Because like there were just so many plays where Aaron Gordon was trying to chase Clay Thompson over a screen. And he was just behind Clay when Clay's getting the shot off. like Stuff like that. Um yeah, I mean, when you switch split actions, you usually screw them up. So it's if if they're gonna, I, I just assume like Kerr's Kerr's so ahead um, of of them on the counter to counter move yeah. uh, chess match that yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, Malone should try. Uh, I, I think I would probably play Bones Highland forty nine minutes a game. <laughs> you just. Like, like I know he's probably not ready defensively to handle. No, the, he he has no chance defensively in this but series. Like, I just like his energy. It's like he was the only yeah. one that could just reach defensively. Like everybody on Denver was just too far to affect the shot, and he's just like yeah. he's the guy. And Austin Rivers, credit Austin Rivers, he did a nice job on Steph. I mean, like I said, Steph had a bad game. Like Steph, Steph's not healthy, so like. Yeah, like it's Steph is a great player. Someone I know there's someone's gonna get mad at me. They're gonna be like, You said Steph Curry can't shoot. Like, no, I'm not saying that. Steph Curry is a right. a decent shooter, I guess. But that uh but like I, if I'm Denver, I just sell out on guys that have the physical skill set to play in this to actually play against the uh Golden State's roster. 
and try that before trying to focus on executing the defensive game plan and stuff like that. Just because like Bart, we know Will Barton, like Will Barton's always going to get lost in a series where you're doing all sorts of fronting and turning your back to the ball and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's the your only is, other athlete that's really at that level. Well, they need Will on the court too for his offense. Yeah. Like was, if you don't have him well. on the court, yeah, like you're just going to get beaten offensively at yeah. the end of the day. Like you can't keep up with Golden State offensively. Um, look, I, like I just said, like Bones can't compete in the series. I thought Bones was probably Denver's third best player in that game. Yeah. Like it's not like I don't, I don't mean that like to take shots, but I think that Steve Kerr will just figure out like, okay, Bones is going to overplay this way. Like we're just going to run this action that way. Right. Um, it, it just kind of is what it is for Denver. I, I, nothing I saw in that game makes me think they really have a chance to guard the Dre at the five lineup. And by the way, like I don't even think golden state played the like Steph pool clay lineup until like midway through the second quarter, even because they just didn't need to like, they played a lot of auto Porter. They played a lot of Andre Iguodala. Like, um, you know, and, it, and I like that, like, cause Denver's so big, like Monty Morris is the only guy that is like a normal size for his position. Everyone else is huge for their position. So yeah, yeah. play with small speed and just like run him into the ground. Yeah. And like, but the fact that they didn't even need to do that is what's so scary. Yeah. Uh, if you're Denver, I, I just, I, I feel for Denver. I don't think this is a statement on, um, you know, what, they and Nikola Jokic were able to accomplish in the regular season. They just don't have the dudes uh, without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter to keep up with them offensively while maintaining a semblance of defense. So I don't, I don't know what you do in, in this one. Um, the Raptors and the uh, Sixers, that was a popular upset pick. Did you pick the Raptors in that series? I don't really do picks, but no, I, I would have picked the Sixers. I think I would have picked the Sixers in a long series, to be honest. Yeah, I but would have done six or seven on that. From from what I saw in game one and now with the injury concerns, because Scotty Barnes, Thaddeus Young, and um, Gary Trent, it seems like, are all going to miss game two. I, I have some real concerns about that being a even competitive series. Uh, it, it just seemed like the Sixers with all of their ability to handle the ball, plus the fact that Toronto doesn't really have a great matchup for Joel Embiid. uh, It it seems like that's a bad matchup for Toronto kind of looking forward here. Yeah. I guess it's, I guess what's good is that Philly doesn't have like a big wing that scares you. So losing Scotty isn't the worst thing in the world from that perspective, but yeah, Toronto Toronto needed to steal the ball from Joel Embiid a lot and hit a ton of threes in the series. And uh, losing Gary Trent is going to really screw that up. So, yeah, this isn't this shouldn't be close. I I, I don't know if it'll be a sweep, but I, I assume Toronto's <laughs> going to get one win in the series if those guys are not playing. But it, there's no way they. Uh, hey, if if they do, I'll be happy to eat my own words. But there's there's no absolutely no way. Well, here, here's the problem for Toronto in Game One. I don't know what Philly ended up with turnover wise, but through the first 44 minutes of that game, Philadelphia had one turnover and Toronto throughout the course of the season led the NBA in defensive turnover rate forced. Uh, They were so good at disrupting the opponent. So good at just kind of getting, you know, their hands in there, creating turnovers, uh, forcing all sorts of issues. And, 
Oh, by the way, for Toronto, it's essential that they do that because their half court offense is not that great. So they need to be able to score out in transition. If Philadelphia, like if they can't disrupt what Philadelphia wants to do offensively and force turnovers and get out in transition and create live ball opportunities, I I don't know how they keep up with Philadelphia. Like, I think that you can look at the officiating in that game and look at like, okay, Fred VanVleet picked up two early fouls. Chris Boucher got three early fouls. Like the referees played it really tight with hands uh, and hand checking. Maybe the next game, it's not quite like that. And they're able to force turnovers that way. But I mean, Toronto has to average the, uh, forcing 15 turnovers a game, I think, to have a chance in this series. And that's not the easiest thing in the world when you're playing James Harden, who doesn't turn the ball over all that often. Tyrese Maxey, who's like an awesome secondary ball handler. And yeah, like Joel Embiid has had turnover issues in the past, but he's really, really improved in terms of his ability to read double teams and to hit the right guy on passes. So I I don't know. I I don't see this as, uh, look, we might be overreacting to game one, but this was, given the injury issues as well, this was about as bad a first game as Toronto could have possibly gotten. I mean, Philly had two turnovers because I'm yeah. not counting Isaiah Joe, his turnovers. So they, they had two turnovers. I don't, I've never heard of that. I don't know what the record is, but it's got to be pretty close. That's, uh, yeah. that, that's incomprehensible. So, um, and Joe and Joel Embiid had zero turnovers in 37 minutes. James Hart, honestly, James Harden having one turnover in 41 minutes or 40 minutes, that's more impressive, honestly. Uh, that's a miracle. What do you have, like 13, 14 dimes? So that was yeah. remarkable. Uh, Toronto's whole thing is that they just, they, they, they force you to turn around when you're trying to bring the ball up. They make you uncomfortable. They speed you up. They speed you up. They, you know, Fred Van Vliet just pokes the ball away. He's a nuisance. That's how they win those games. They they get into transition. Siakam is able to attack from the three point line, get to a spin, throw a shoulder through guys. And he had a, he had a good game for sure. Um, but if they're not like if if they are not getting a bunch of opportunities to attack the rim where Joel Embiid is not there, then they're not going to score enough to keep up with Philadelphia. Yeah, I I don't know how they're going to defend Joel in this series if. Scotty is out and like if Gary Trent is out and if Thaddeus Young is out because those guys all come down from the wing on these doubles and like really kind of cause issues a lot of the time, right? Like they'll dig down and they'll just try and speed you up in some way. So you're going to be playing a lot of newish or different guys. And if you don't have that many horses, it's going to be a little bit tough. Um, you didn't get to watch the Bulls Bucks game. That was a, uh, that was a slog. <laughs> uh, Zach Levine, like the Bulls should have won this game. Did you see any of the shit on Twitter where uh, people were melting down because Mike Budenholzer decided to play offense defense with Giannis with five fouls? I heard about that. That was so weird. I mean, was that not a bad decision? It seemed like the I did. Get, I got to catch a little bit at the end. and It seemed like the Bulls were coming back and Kobe White kept getting to the rack. So I guess that made sense for him to try that. But I mean... This game was weird in that I'm looking at the box score and Nick Vucevic went nine for twenty seven. Has Nick Vucevic yeah. ever taken that many shots in the game before? It was it was a weird game. They went like I think that uh Damar, Zach Levine, and Vucevic combined to go twenty one of seventy and they still only lost by 
I mean, look, it was a one possession game with under a minute left. Um, it, it was, it was a bad, it's a bad loss for the Bulls. They should have won this game. Alex Caruso was awesome in this game. Um, Giannis was incredible uh, when he was on the court. Just absolutely unbelievable. Um, uh, the the Budenholzer thing is just so bizarre. Uh, it's like he tries to make their life harder. <laughs> it worked last year. It worked last year, and like he's a great coach. It's so weird, but like it's it's almost like he tries to make their life harder sometimes. And I don't, uh, I don't get it. He's trying to build not, championship but, character again. Doesn't want them to be comfortable trying to repeat. I guess, man, it's a bizarre situation. Um, look, if the Bulls get reasonable shooting, like Vucevic missed a lot of layups. Demar missed a lot of mid range shots that he typically makes. Uh, Zach Levine is coming back from injury. There might be a little bit of rust there. I don't know what we can expect from him going forward, but like the, it's one of those things like when you watch an NCAA tournament game and there's a great, uh, analytic service called shot quality that tells you like, you know, based on the shot quality that each team generated, what you would have expected the result to be, if not for shot variance in a game, right? Uh, the Bulls shot quality score would have been off the charts in this game compared to the Bucks. Uh, I thought they did an outstanding job on both ends of the court generating offense. They just didn't make shots. And yeah, uh, that, that, that was a bad loss. That, that, that gives me some real concerns for them moving forward because I don't think the Bucks are going to play that poorly again as a team. Yeah. And it's hard for you because you didn't watch the game. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't have much to add, except that I know you only get one shot. And I get, the, I did get to see Brooke Lopez make a few good plays and to have this Bucks team play as solidly as they did all year and then add him into it. It's like, I just assume the Bucks are going to, they're the team to beat in the East, I assume. Yeah. And look, you know, we've gone through now. I mean, we, the Phoenix game was just the Chris Paul show. Did you get to watch any of the Chris Paul show in the fourth quarter? Or I did get to see stuck? him back that ass up all over the place until he got to the bucket a few times. That was very beautiful. What an unbelievable player. One of my like, favorites I was, ever. I was trying to determine this. Like if Chris Paul wins the title this year, I mean, what is he like the third best point guard of all time behind uh, Magic Johnson and like Steph probably? Like, yeah, I think he'd be ahead of Isaiah Thomas for me at that point, just because of the longevity and like having led a team to a title. But yeah, do we I don't put know, Steph man. in the point guard conversation? Yeah, I don't, I think he's I a point guard, but like, I don't know. I don't think, like, I think it's just, just the best shooting guard ever. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's a shooting guard. So I don't think it makes sense to call him a point guard. He, like he he revolutionized the way teams use the point yeah. guard position, so I guess you can call him a point guard in that regard. But if you're comparing him to people in the past, like he yeah. plays, he plays the he plays like a classic shooting guard essentially. He's just like the best That's classic true. shooting guard of all time. So whatever it is, like as far as guys that pound the ball into the floor, it's Magic, and then I mean I I, I was too young to really appreciate Stockton at the level of Chris Paul, but it seems like. He did pretty much all the same stuff. Um, I was old enough to watch Steve Nash. Steve Nash was my favorite player growing up with Mono Ginobili. I think I, I think Chris Paul's better than Steve Nash. Maybe the tiebreaker yeah. is his defense. Like he's just one of the best defenders of all time. Um, 
who's the best who who's the most beloved point guard in Suns history? I think that will be the more interesting debate. <laughs> if Chris Paul can finally if, bring them a title, how how do you how do you put Steve over him if he actually got it? It's probably Chris Paul at that point, probably. right? Like I mean, Chris Paul uh, like when he when he just decided to turn it on at the end of this game, it was it was over. Like yeah. the the Pelicans had no recourse. Uh, this is going to be a quick series, I think. Pelicans fought. I respect the fact that they fought to get back in this game after being down twenty in the first half. But like, I don't see how this is going to last. I mean, we've gone through all the series at this point. I think you know the, um, you know, we've gone through all the Western Conference games, the East. I mean, we didn't talk Miami, Atlanta. That that was just a pure schedule loss. It felt like for Atlanta. Uh, you know, they had to play. You know like 36 hours later, right? That's just going to be impossible um, against that Miami team. And that's a bad matchup for Atlanta to begin with because Miami's just going to hunt finding Bam uh, onto Trey in switches, and they're really good at finding those situations. So uh, maybe maybe Atlanta can come back, but I don't really see that as all that likely. Um yeah, and I, I love I love Okungwu. Like I'm, I'm, I've always been a big Okungwu stand, but he he's not ready for this yet. I don't think so. I mean, maybe getting to play against Bam will help him develop. Like that's I think your best case scenario if you're Atlanta. Their defense is just also not good enough in, yeah. at all. Like it. I mean, Duncan Robinson went nuts today, but if it's not Duncan Robinson, it's going to be you know Max Struess next game because Atlanta's defenders lose him and. Um, Jimmy Butler is going to go nuts at some point in the series. Like it, it, it seems like too tall of a task for Atlanta. Other than that, I, I think that we've gone through the games here. I mean, good. That's it, right? Like that's all we got. I, I got nothing left in the tank. I'm like, the, I'm I like the it. Atlanta Hawks. I got nothing left in the tank. We started this a little bit later than I wanted to. Uh, that was, uh, that was unfortunate, but Jared, tell the people where they can find your work. You can find me on the Game Theory Pod once every like four to five months. We we should do this more. Like maybe we'll do this more in the playoffs. Dude, that might be the hit call me there. up. Uh, I'd like to finish before one thirty a.m. But otherwise, I'm down. Yeah, like maybe at some point we'll do a non uh, non Celtics game day. We'll be able Beautiful. to just record early in it. a in an afternoon. Um, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back later this week with Matt Penny. We're going to talk a little bit of draft. We're going to talk a little bit of some of the standout stars we've seen in the playoffs and just like how they've developed over the course of uh, their early portion of their NBA careers. I don't even think Matt knows that yet. So Matt, if you're listening, that's what we're doing this week. Um, Until next time though, we will talk soon. Bye.